Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Nobody has more respect for women than I do. Nobody. Hillary Clinton wants to abolish it, believe me. She wants to abolish our Second Amendment. I think they didn't deny it. I don't think anybody denied it. Other presidents did not call. They'd write letters, and some presidents didn't do anything. Many people have come out and said, I'm right. You really do have to ask yourself, where does it stop? Hello and welcome to Felicia's Trump, the podcast where we use the insane ramblings of the last shitty pumpkin left in the store the day after Halloween to explain logical fallacies. I'm your host, Jim. And I'm your other host, Mark. A logical fallacy is an error in reasoning that results in bad or invalid arguments. And the logical fallacy we're looking at this week is the worst case scenario fallacy, also known as the just in case fallacy. And that <laughs> last shitty pumpkin, that is brilliant. It's just. <laughs> It's starting to collapse, uh-huh. and it's kind of awful. Yeah, it's, yeah. Like, it's a bit soft. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's the bit, one that everyone's finger picked like, up yeah. and went, "No, I don't want that," and put it back. Yeah. So it's yeah. So the worst case scenario fallacy <laughs> is kind of a version of the appeal to fear, which is an appropriate one to do for Halloween week. Yep. And it is when someone argues their case based on the worst case scenario rather than the much more likely probable scenario in doing that they're appealing to fear and saying look if we don't do something or if we do do something this is what will happen and it'll go as bad as it could possibly go it's almost like living in the end result of the slippery slope yeah it's that kind of yeah and in our first example we've got a thing that trump has just referred to so many times in saying what a great job he did with covid our early and aggressive action saved over two million american lives we saw it we had to make a decision. We closed it up. We understood it. We saved. Remember, we're supposed to be 2.2 million people were going to die. So he's suggesting that 2.2 million people were going to die at this point. This was October 2020. So only about 200,000 had died in right. the US, which is still quite a lot. These days, it's yeah. a bit higher than that. And he's saying, so we saved 2 million lives. That's just math, isn't it? You know, that's, that's, yeah. that's how that works. What he always ignores is the fact that that 2.2 million people was a model that was done by the Imperial College in London based on no mitigation of the pandemic whatsoever. Not just nothing that the government did. Oh, right. Like them not taking the appropriate steps to deal with it. Yeah. But like no individuals spontaneously changing their behaviour in reaction to the pandemic. No one staying inside, washing their hands more, no one wearing masks. The assumption was if no one changes their behaviour at all, that's how many people could die. Right. And regardless of however much Trump did to tell people it wasn't a big deal and they should just go about their lives in those early days before he acted aggressively and early and and locked down the country against Chinese people. Some people were still going to take this seriously and go, actually, you know, we should maybe just not go to Granny's house. And that would have made a difference and did make a difference. So some of the stuff that the government ended up doing, too late and too little usually, Mm -hmm. made a difference. 
But that isn't why 2.2 million people didn't die. Yeah. Basically, that would only have happened if they didn't tell anyone it it existed at all and everyone went about their daily business. Which Which is almost kind of what he did do. Isn't it? He just kind of went, yeah, no, there's nothing to worry about. The Certainly at the beginning, yeah, he was saying this is yeah. this is fine. First of all, they were saying it's not going to get to us when it was just China. They said, yeah, yeah it, won't, it won't get to the US. And then he was saying, oh, there's only like 20 cases and it's going down. It's going to go down. It could be zero very soon. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he went up and up and up. Yeah, yeah, so he's comparing how successful he's been against how bad it could possibly have been. Yeah, which it was never going to be. Yeah, not yeah. really the responsible, logical way to do it. Still on public health, yep. our next example is from Ron DeSantis's Surgeon General in Florida, Joseph Ladapo, right. who in October of 2022 put out new guidance from the Florida Department of Health saying that mm-hmm. males between 18 and 39 should not take the coronavirus vaccine. The response to this is, is shocking. You would think people would want to know because unless I'm misreading that summary, this is a big deal finding, is it not? Tucker, it's an enormous deal. I I talk to people and there's been so much confusion, as you know, over the past few years that people have trouble sometimes even identifying when something has so clearly crossed the line. So I ask people sometimes who are still, you know, hemming and hawing about this, if this if this vaccine, if it had been known two years ago or so that this vaccine would increase cardiac deaths in young men by 84%, would they have approved it? The obvious answer is no, you would never give something to someone who was young and healthy and increase their risk of dying. So that's the basis on which they released that guidance in October of 2022, saying that they had new evidence that it substantially or significantly at least increased the risk of cardiac death among males aged 18 to 39. The thing is, that is obviously a bad adverse event, a bad reaction, if it is due to the vaccine. The evidence that those events that he's talking about were due to the vaccine is insubstantial at best. Right. He actually linked to the the study that was done. And I'm kind of using study in inverted commas in a a bit. (laughs) Oh, okay. Because (laughs) what they did was they looked at, specifically in Florida, death rates for various causes and they were looking at death certificates rather than medical records they Mm -hmm. excluded people who had covid from those numbers supposedly or people who'd been diagnosed with covid the end number wasn't big in terms of the number of people they were looking at because they were looking at people who had died who had Mm -hmm. in the past 28 days and in another part of the study in the past 25 weeks had the covid vaccine vaccine. so the number was already reasonably small and that the number of people who had died of cardiac events in that group was quite small and then when they reduced that out into the various different groups of males aged 18 to 39 40 to 59 60 plus under 18 females of those age groups then they separated those out into those who had had mrna vaccines and non-mrna vaccines or didn't know which vaccine they'd had you ended up with about 20 people that they're basing this on. Okay. <laughs> okay. It wasn't right. published, this study. It wasn't peer-reviewed. Y- yeah. When he released the guidance and linked to the study, it didn't even say who the authors were or any other kind of 
conflict of interest information, anything about it yeah. at all. Which you'd normally get with a medical study published yeah. Yeah. and peer-reviewed and all that, yes. Absolutely. So Robert Weichter, Chair of Department of Medicine at the University of California, when he was uh, asked to look at this, said, uh, we're talking about a very small number of deaths. An extra death or two would potentially change the results, make them either you know more significant or less significant. Yeah. I am hesitant to even call it a paper. It isn't published anywhere. <laughs> the idea that the analysis be, is being used to change policy, it doesn't have the scientific chops to do that. If you submitted it yeah. to a peer-reviewed journal, this is Dan Daniel Salmon, the Institute of Vaccine Safety at John Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. Uh, he said, right. if you submitted it, it to a peer-reviewed journal, unless you were paying them to publish it, it would get rejected. Putting out half-baked mm. reports from a Department of Health is a dangerous thing to do. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> the thing yeah. is, yeah. there's there's benefits to getting the COVID vaccine. There's benefits not only to the individual, but to society, the more people who, who are vaccinated. Yeah. There's no argument that there are never side effects to vaccines. Side effects do yeah. happen. Sometimes they're fatal, very rarely. And that's, that's a really bad case. But yeah. um, cardiac events due to COVID, way more common. Yes, than <laughs> due to the vaccine without having COVID. Yes. yes. So basically, this is the, it's the chocolate biscuit fallacy, isn't it? Where, you know, if we give every individual a chocolate biscuit, some people will die of heart failure, some people will fall pregnant, some people will miscarry, some people will get cancer. But it's nothing to do with the fact that they had the chocolate biscuit. It happened afterwards. Yeah. So, And this fallacy is essentially saying if there's even a chance – that that heart attack or miscarriage or whatever was due to the chocolate biscuit. If there's even a possibility, then yeah. we need to make everyone stop eating chocolate biscuits. That's the yeah. only plausible thing. And that's what Ladapo yeah. was saying, is that this evidence, this study, suggests that this increases the risk of cardiac-related deaths in this age group. Mm. You know, again, they separated it out into all the age groups. That was the only one where they found significance. Found it, it, and, it and when yeah. you look at, when you do a 5% value a five percent likelihood of that these results are not due to chance and you spread yep. it out across almost 20 different groups one of them just is going to come up as significant yeah they weren't able to separate out any confounding variables of underlying health conditions or anything like that they couldn't do yeah. that one of the things that they mentioned in the in the study is that there may be reasons why particular demographic groups might be more likely to have had an mrna vaccine rather than mm-hmm. a Johnson & Johnson. And we haven't been able to separate out for that or suggest why those demographic groups might just be more prone to cardiac events and so on. Yep. So there was, yep. even within the study that he cited, they were saying, this is very small, we're not really sure about it. Yeah. You know, don't take these results to heart. And he's like, well, everyone needs to stop taking COVID vaccines. That's a bad thing. You'll wow. die. Wow. Wow. Yeah. It's just, let's find the meagre scrap of evidence that will back up what the the stance we want to yeah. take. Uh, yeah. And our third example is actually, it's a Dick Cheney example, but I haven't mm-hmm. got Dick Cheney talking about it. I've got Ron Suskind, who wrote a book about Dick Cheney called right. The 1% Doctrine. It's two months after 9-11. The vice president has been given harrowing intelligence. Pakistani nuclear scientists have been sitting with bin Laden and Zawahiri right before 9-11. Tenet and the CIA brief him, NSC people are there. Cheney says something fascinating. He says, for these low-probability, high-impact type events, we need to think about them in a different way. Then as the briefing goes on, he stops the proceedings and says, here it is. 
if there's even a 1% chance that WMDs have been given to terrorists, we need to treat it as a certainty, not in our analysis, but in our response. Those two things are fascinating. I mean, separate. And that jumped out at you right away. Yeah, like, you're right. Yeah. On page 163, you write a key feature of the Cheney Doctrine was to quietly liberate action from such accepted standards of proof, and it was effective. Suspicion, both inside America and abroad, became the threshold for action. Understandable after 9-11, right? It will be debated. The point is, here it is. Here's the real secret to the playbook. Talk it out. Is this what we want for America? We see both sides here. And the fact is, making suspicion the guiding principle of the world's most powerful nation creates enormous backlash. For instance, as somebody says, you know, 99 innocent men are worth arresting so that one guilty man is captured, reversing the normal equation. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. the key to yeah. Cheney going by the worst case scenario. Yes, yeah. it would be really, yeah. really serious and bad if terrorists had weapons of mass destruction. So if yeah. we think it's possible, we have to assume it definitely is true and yeah. react in that way. But that reaction has its own costs, yeah. and that's... Part of the problem with this fallacy, by looking at the worst case scenario, you're only looking at one side of the cost benefit analysis. You're mm. only yes. looking at what would happen if the worst case scenario happened. All yeah. of the stuff you need to do to mitigate that possibility or to to kind of deal with it if it were to happen is the other side of it. And in the case of something like this, what that results in is suspicion becoming the threshold of you taking action and that action yeah. impacting people who weren't going to do anything, didn't have the capability to do anything, and has a huge effect. And even yep. not necessarily the obvious effects, the responses to just air travel, for example. The First of all, the citizens' reactions to the newly perceived danger of air travel, given yep. terrorist activity, but also the TSA starting up all kinds of new screening procedures and all of that stuff yep. meant that it was harder and longer and more troublesome to get through an airport and meant it put people off going on planes. What yeah. that meant was in the US, where people were taking domestic flights, people started driving more. And mm -hmm. driving, way more dangerous than going on a yeah. plane. Way more <laughs> yeah. dangerous. Yeah. So yeah. there's a study called Driving Fatalities After 9-11, The Hidden Cost of Terrorism, that says in late 2001 there were an additional 327 driving deaths per month in the US that, that they believe, based on what the, the research they've done, were due yeah. to people driving more instead of going on planes for on domestic flights wow. because of the perceived danger of yeah. the potential for the worst-case scenario happening, the potential yeah. for another 9-11, yeah. or, in some cases, just not wishing to be delayed by the TSA's response to that potential worst-case scenario. Yeah, yeah. Since 9-11, in the kind of decade following that, they were looking at after the kind of initial backlash had fallen away yep. and people started going on planes again. Even then, they say that in the following decade, there were as many as 2,300 driving deaths that are probably attributable to the 9-11 wow. attacks because people were driving. Wow. So that's a wow. thing. I wouldn't have thought of that as an potential... No. Consequence, because all I yeah, because immediately there was all the kind of hate crimes against anybody. Oh that, sure, that, oh they, that, yeah, there's that, many that other consequences as well. Absolutely, non-white. Non yeah. yeah, yeah, but that wow, did, yes, that's amazing, isn't it? Wow. And 
Now is the time, I think, for Mark's British politics. Corner. So we're going to whiz back to 2019. And in the run-up to the 2019 general election, the Labour leader was Jeremy Corbyn, and Theresa May was the Tory leader. And the campaign that Corbyn ran was based around the fact that he had got hold of some internal documents that proved that the National Health Service would be up for grabs for the US for the ongoing privatisation of the National Health Service. It's been going on for 40 years. He maintained that under the Tories and their Brexit deal, the NHS would hemorrhage £500 million a week with the post-Brexit deal with the US, which was kind of up against the £350 million a week that we gave to the EU, and that's why we should get out of the EU. That could go to the NHS. It didn't. If that, none of it was true. So this five hundred million pounds is actually based on a worst case scenario of the UK paying what the US pays for drugs, but it's not based on what really would happen. The NHS in England spent about eighteen billion on medicines in two thousand 18 running up to the year of the general election. The US spent two point five times as much per head according to the OECD. And so multiplying 18 billion from the NHS in England by 2.5 gives 45 billion, which is 27 billion a year or 509 million a week. But in actual practice, it's highly unlikely that the NHS spending on medicines would end up being the same as the US's because of where they get their medicines from and the practicality of all that stuff. Channel 4's Paul McNamara accuses Corbyn of doing the same as Boris's 300 million a week bus. Um, you once said that Boris Johnson's 350 million pounds on the side of the bus wasn't just misleading, it was downright dishonest. You just said that 500 million pounds could be taken out of the NHS and handed to big drugs companies. That's a figure that comes from a report based on if every medicine in the UK costs the same as in the US after a trade deal. The report also said they crude estimates and not precise analysis. Aren't you misleading voters with your five hundred million pounds? Coming up with this figure as a as a scaremongering figure, it's a policy decision to say, look, this is as bad as it could get, but then turn that into this is how it's going to be, rather than if it could be under these circumstances, it could be as bad as this. It won't be because it's not how it works, but comes up with a nice number that we can shout about and put on the side of the bus. In fact, they did a spoof of the bus with that printed on it. However, Corbyn neatly turns the worst-case scenario accusation to his advantage in replying to Paul McNamara. Our figure of 500 million comes from an analysis of figures from the World Health Organization and drug prices and what we know of the discussions that have taken place between the NHS and US drug companies. And I believe it to be an accurate and a credible figure, otherwise I wouldn't be quoting it. And I'm very happy for anybody else to analyse it and tell me if I've understated the case and it's actually worse than that. So, so notwithstanding his strange emphasis of and, I think it's, <laughs> uh, I believe it to be, he neatly plays the worst-case scenario thing back at Paul Na- Channel 4's Paul McNamara by saying, yeah, you can come and analyse the thing, and it kind of restricts the way that you can do your analysis <laughs> along the same lines, but it's a good gag, very neatly done. 
Yes, you can come and analyse it, and you can tell me that it's worse than I thought. Yeah, maybe this isn't the worst case scenario. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> which is quite a ni- quite a nice way of um, almost kind of refuting the accusation. Yeah, you just go, oh, yeah, but surely you're just in the worst case. No, oh, you think that's bad? It could be much worse than that. Uh, the second example this week, Rishi Sunak has been desperately trying to be a world leader and he's been in Washington attempting to position the UK as a thought leader in the world about worrying about security around artificial intelligence, AI. And actually throughout the entire speech that he gave, he employs the worst case scenario fallacy in order to grab the headlines because that's that's kind of what it's about. The whole thing with Corbyn was to... To, to grab people's attention and say, hey, look, we could lose this amount of money. He said, yeah, but only under specific really bad circumstances uh, in the same way that Trump said we've saved two million people. So what Sunak is doing, he's employing the worst-case scenario fallacy whilst at the same time denying that he is. And so he ends up talking to Sophie Ridge on Sky News. Your AI task force chair, Matt Clifford, uh, frightened me, certainly, because he said that we could be just two years away from AI being able to kill many humans and the situation could be terrifying. Can you, it's confusing. Can you paint a picture of the risk? Well, look, I'm not, I'm not going to get into this business of, of, of scaremongering people because I think what people will say, well, hang on, there's a new technology which we don't fully know yet what it's capable of doing. The creators themselves have talked about risks on a scale and on parallel with yeah. nuclear war and pandemics. And when people hear that, they'll rightly be worried about that. Disagree? No, but that's why I've actually been bringing the companies together to talk about right guardrails to put in place to prevent those kind of things from happening. I'm not in the business <laughs> of scaremongering, but even the people that have invented it said it could be as bad as nuclear war. Yeah, sure. So, but, it could yeah. be Terminator, but... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, I'm yeah, not here know, to worry anyone. No, no, nothing to worry about. And, like, and Sophie Ridge, I like that Sophie Ridge refers to eye eyes, those kind of sort of strange marsupials with one long finger in the middle that could at any point rise up and kill humans. Uh-huh, yeah. So that, yeah. Oh, that's so, the quiet yeah. ones you want to watch for. Yeah, the, the quiet one with those long, that long middle finger sticking it to the man. Yeah, but she she says, you know, the advisor, your AI advisor, has said, oh, yeah, this could kill all humans. Well, of course the AI advisor said that, because that's what you want to be <laughs> seen to be. their job. That, yeah, that's, that's your job. Yeah, can we come up with the worst-case scenario so we can grab people's attention so that we can thrust me centre stage to talk about this shit so that I can have some kind of legacy? Absolutely. Imagine if the AI advisor was like, I thought it would be fine. It'd be fine. Yeah, it's nothing it's to worry not, about. No, we don't need to. It's fine. Yeah. Basically, we're going to get people generating pictures of Taylor Swift. I think people might go. Oh, I'm not sure we need you then. Yeah, <laughs> it's fine. And then all the AI guy wrote a report generated by AI <laughs> that just told him. So he put in the prompt was, "Give me a report that Rishi yeah. Sunak will believe and be able to save his ignominious <laughs> ass." from his paucity, the <laughs> poverty of leadership that he's demonstrated up till now. <laughs> I imagine most of the reports from the AI advisor start, have you seen 2001? <laughs> mm. Yeah. So he's not a scammer, I'm going. He's using a catastrophizing, a worst-case scenario, basically to distract from 
the actual worst-case scenario that's currently playing out for him and the Tories, insofar as he's lost key by-elections, MPs are being suspended for sleaze, which will trigger another by-election that they will lose. Yeah, I don't know if you had the same difficulty that I had, but when I was Googling Trump worst-case scenario, all of the articles were just, Trump is the worst-case scenario. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yes, exactly. That's the thing. How do you get him? How does he talk about it when we're living in the worst case scenario? So you've got to come up with something spectacular to distract people. And Sunak is not spectacular. (laughs) It's basically some attempt to make some sort of legacy for his year brackets S in office. And then he'll be consigned to the sidelines for decades when the Tories lose the next general election. And the third example can't talk about worst case scenario without mentioning Brexit and the 2016 Leave campaign dismissed the then Prime Minister David Cameron's Remain campaign pitch with its couple of simple messages. Britain would be stronger, safer and better off in the EU and leaving would be a leap in the dark economically. And the Leave campaign dismissed these as catastrophizing and using the worst case scenario accusation and dismissed it in those terms, calling it Project Fear, which is a very useful phrase because the whole Leave campaign was about nothing but two or three word memorable phrases that you could then hurl at anyone. And it would ignore any objection slash point of fact slash economic warning signal as merely using the worst case scenario and thereby ought not to be listened to. And everything actually is just going to be fine. Don't listen to those Ramonas. But if you fast forward to the present, and even the right-wing Daily Telegraph newspaper, who advocated leaving in 2016, admitted in an article entitled, six years later, Project Fear was right all along. We wallow in your political mess, you offend us. You must have been unimpressive, don't befriend us. Morning Mondays all week long, not healthy. But being happy is only for the wealthy. Cause we can't see past the worst case scenario. You'd be happier instead if you stayed at Goldman Sachs. I pray one day I live to see you break your smile oh, I pray one day I live to see your fallacy in the wild I pray one day I live to see your fallacy in the wild I pray one day I live to see your fallacy in the wild You can see past the worst case scenario You'd be happier if you just stayed at Goldman the Hoosiers there with worst case scenario. <laughs> so in the fallacy in the wild, we like to talk about the fallacy of the week from a non-political perspective. And our first example this week is an example that represents this fallacy in anxious people, really. Right. Because yeah. catastrophizing is yep. a common thing that people with anxiety 
tend to do. In some cases, they see a situation in its kind of worst case form and see the the bad and scary things about it. And that's what sometimes makes it difficult for them to approach that scenario. Yeah. Cheedy in the good place. Great example of this. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, He often has trouble making decisions. Making decisions isn't necessarily my strong suit. I know that, buddy. You, You once had a panic attack at a make your own Sunday bar. There were too many toppings, and very early in the process, you had to commit to a chocolate palette or a fruit palette, and if you couldn't decide, you wound up with kiwi, junior mint, raisin, and just ruins everyone's night. <laughs> so, kiwi, junior mint, raisin. Yeah. <laughs> the fear that, that making the wrong decision while making your own Sunday is going to ruin everyone's night yeah. <laughs> makes it impossible for him then to be able to cope with even simple decisions. That's definitely a kind of worst-case scenario thinking, is what if... The choice I make or the way I act in a particular situation goes wrong and how could that snowball into something really, really, really awful happening? And that's basically his entire raison d'etre throughout the the whole of Good Place. I must come back to that. I've got two series to to go. So good. Such a good show. (laughs) Yeah. So sometimes people kind of impose this on themselves through that method of thinking. Sometimes they are just trying to protect someone that they care about and they want to do whatever is necessary to protect them without necessarily looking at other side of the cost-benefit analysis, such as in our second example, which is from Frozen. And this is where Elsa has accidentally, thanks to her ice powers, injured her sister Anna. Listen to me, Elsa. Your power will only grow. There is beauty in it, but also great danger. You must learn to control it. Fear will be your enemy. No, we'll protect her. She can learn to control it, I'm sure. Until then, we'll lock the gates. We'll reduce the staff. We will limit her contact with people and keep her powers hidden from everyone. Including Anna. So, in an attempt to keep their children safe, Elsa and Anna's parents isolate their two children completely from the world. They don't help her to figure out how to use or control her powers or teach her to not be fearful about them because, as the troll said, fear will make it worse. They separate their two kids so that the worst-case scenario of Elsa hurting Anna again, like worse in a way that they can't help, doesn't happen. They avoid that yeah, from happening. And, and what they end up doing is giving their two kids uh, a lifetime alone. complexes. Essentially. <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. a, a childhood yeah. where they grow up on their own, lonely and, and away from society. Yeah. And that's quite a big cost to the yeah. benefit they that's get. Got, yes, those, those, kind of, those kind of unforeseen circumstances, because the foreseen one is seen to be much, yeah. much worse than anything else. So we'll avoid that at all costs, but some of the costs are this, yeah, which you know t- turns Elsa actually into some sort of icy psychopath. <laughs> Basically, She's very misunderstood, yeah. Elsa. And, uh, <laughs> she wasn't supported by her parents to use her powers no, wisely. Blame the bloody parents. Yeah, yeah. It is the parents. No, that's true. Bloody stupid yeah. parents. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> speaking of bloody stupid parents, and it's all their fault. <laughs> 
um, it's a bit of a fairy tale kind of con- consistent thing, really. Well, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I was I was toying with doing a Disney exclusive one, but I had to use yeah, that good yeah. place clip. So this one comes from Tangled, right? And this is where Rapunzel's mother, but not really her mother, it's an old woman who's kidnapped her and kept her in a tower, because right. <laughs> right. Rapunzel's hair is magic and it keeps the old woman young. Oh, okay. So she wants to keep her there. She doesn't want her to, yeah. to escape into the into the world. Mother knows best. Listen to your mother. It's a scary world out there. Mother knows best. One way or another, something will go wrong. I swear. Ruffians, thugs, poison ivy, quicksand, cannibals and snakes. The plague. No. Yes. But also large bugs. Men with pointy teeth and stop no more. You'll just upset me. Mother's right here. Mother will protect you. Darling, here's what I suggest. Skip the drama. Stay with Mama. Mother knows best. Skip the drama. Stay with Mama. Brilliant. <laughs> brilliant. Love that. So one of the yeah. ways she keeps Rapunzel there is to... Tell her that, that it's absolutely terrifying out there. There's cannibals yeah. and, and the plague Quick and big and, bugs. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. And if she leaves, yeah. she will yeah. definitely encounter all these things. Come across all of those. So it's just better. You know, I'll keep you safe. Yeah. So it's a manipulation tactic, as the appeal yeah. to fear so often is. Yeah. And our final example, I had to put four in this uh, week, because this one, you might see a familiar bit of reasoning recognize he has a familiar american idea this is from batman v superman dawn of justice which is fucking awful and uh, <laughs> and yeah. bruce wayne in this film he's he's suspicious of superman jesus alfred count the dead thousands of people what's next millions he has the power to wipe out the entire human race. And if we believe there's even a 1% chance that he is our enemy, we have to take it as an absolute certainty. And we have to destroy him. So who knew that Bruce Wayne was such a big fan of Dick Cheney? Uh, there you go. Uh, yeah. yeah. He's such a right-wing Republican. I mean, he's, he is a billionaire. Well, yeah, so no, I'm, yeah. I can't sound well, yeah. super surprised. <laughs> I'm, going, yeah, I'm not too surprised. <laughs> but, you know... The, he's tough yeah, on crime. Michael, the Michael Keaton, Michael Keaton, Bruce Wayne <laughs> yeah. was, you know, a lot less radical. Absolutely, he was just, yeah. just kind of nice guy. I mean, yeah. in some instances, he's quite a philanthropist. So uh, again, mm. may go the other way. I mean, that's just so the Dick Cheney line that that yeah. Superman, because he's powerful, because he has the ability to to wipe everyone out, we yeah. can't assume that he is going to stay good as he seems to be at the moment and like yeah. trying to help people. Chances are, at some point, he'll try and wipe us out. So if there's even a possibility that that might happen, we have to assume it's we definitely yep. going to happen and we have to kill him. Because we've all said, by this point, when this film was made, we've all seen Superman 3, so we know that it's possible <laughs> that he gets a bit yeah. dark. Yeah, a bit like Spider-Man 3, where the same thing happens. Yeah. It goes all goes all dark and, and his suit is made of licorice. <laughs> So we're going we're gonna to play fake news, folks. I love the game. It's a great game. I understand the game as well as anybody. As well as anybody. Yes, it's time for fake news, the game where I read out three Trump quotes, two of which are real and one I made up, and Mark has to figure out which one is fake news. Because I've realised that if I don't play at all, that's the only way to prevent appalling manipulation of the laws of averages and gameplay and luck and fairness. And that would lead to the end of civilization as we know it. You mark my words. <laughs> Our theme this week is yeah. times when Trump 
couldn't decide on a number to claim about something. Oh, <laughs> Particularly, okay. for some reason, that just seemed to be, a, to be a thing with a couple of these quotes that came up. And one of them has has gone a bit viral and been in the news. So you might be in for an easier right. week. I don't know if you've heard it, but okay. I know a lot of our I've, listeners will have heard it. So right. we'll see about that. But there's still well, two, two I'm, others I'm, to choose from. I've been I know you don't pay attention. You're in France. No. So, I'm in yeah. France. I don't give a shit about it. It's the only way to remain sane. I'm yeah. suspecting most of our patron and, and Facebook contestants will have already nice heard at least yeah. one of these. Yeah. So okay. statement number one. Yeah. I'm for us. You know how you spell us, right? You spell it U.S. I just picked that up. Has anyone ever thought of that before? I just picked that up. A couple of days I'm reading and it said us. And I said, you know, if you think about it, us equals U.S. Isn't that... Now, if we say something genius, they'll never say it. You know, we get 25, 30, 40, 50, 80,000, 100,000 people to speeches. They've never said Trump's a great speaker. Yeah, odd that. Yeah, yeah. I bet He's going to also work out any minute now... That dog is God backwards. <laughs> yeah. Like it's like he's discovered marijuana really late <laughs> on, isn't it? That's right, yeah. Oh man, look, <laughs> you look at us, right? It's like US. We're the US is us. Uh-huh. What an idiot. Yeah. Statement number <laughs> okay. two. Okay. Alright. John Kelly is a very stupid person. Very dumb with a very big mouth. He said that I said some horrible things about veterans. It's not true. I love veterans. Before I fixed VA choice, which, by the way, people have been trying to do for decades, nobody could get it done, but I did it very easily. Before I fixed VA choice, veterans had to wait 20, 30, 40, 50, 65 days to see a doctor. (laughs) Do you have to wait for 20? And then you have to wait, and then they go, no, no, you've got to wait for another 30. I was like, ah. Ah, that's just it's the Trump bump. I was listening to somebody talking about Trump, and somebody like Tiger Woods was playing on one of his courses. It wasn't Tiger Woods; it was somebody like that. It's the only golfer I can remember. And he said, "Oh, how did it go?" He said, "Yeah, I was, you know, I managed to get one over par." And then, but then Trump was—he heard Trump telling somebody in the clubhouse later, "Oh yeah, he went round four under par." He <laughs> just like makes it up, and then yeah. he heard him again later on saying, "Yeah, he did a record, you know, twenty strokes for eighteen <laughs> holes." Did it, what? Yeah. So, uh, statement yeah. number three: yeah. We have the worst education almost in the large world, the <laughs> the world that people know about. Let's say mm-hmm. if you take the top forty countries, we're about at the bottom of the list. We're number 38, 39, 40. Norway, Denmark, Sweden, China. Think of that. China is top five. We spend double and triple what every other country. There's no country that comes close. We spend more per pupil and we're at 40. Yeah, but that's because you don't spend more per pupil, turns out. Yeah. We're, are they in three places? 38, 39, and 40. <laughs> wow. And then there's a, there's only four countries that he knows of. Uh, okay. Right, almost in the large world, quite like that. That has a a genuine ring about it. Um, Okay, if spell US right, spell US us. Just that's a long, a long ranty thing. I'm not sure that that would that would that would occur to you as a thing to write. Why? Why would it? Okay, so. Uh, so then, and then that little aside, he said, I said some horrible things about Brothers. It's not true. I love Brothers. Why I fixed VA choice, which, by the way, people have been trying to do for decades. 
Oh, suddenly now I've read it again. That feels very genuine. Oh, no. Okay. The large world. The world that people know about. Oh, no. Okay, so... It's a toss-up between two and three. I'm going to plump four, even though I think that little aside, which, by the way, people have been trying to do for decades, is a is a gymism. Eek. Okay, uh, what's education almost in the last world? Okay, I'm, all right. I think number two is the one that you made up. Okay, and of the other two, which are you more convinced by? More convinced by us, US, picked that up. Anyone thought about that? Now, now I've said it. <laughs> That feels like you've made it up. And number one... Yeah. ...is real. Come for us. You know how you spell us, right? You spell us, U.S. I just picked that up. Has anyone ever thought of that? I just picked that up a couple of days I'm reading, and it said us. And I said, you know, if you think about it, us equals U.S. Isn't that... Now, if we say something genius, they'll never say it. You know, we get 25, 30, 40, 50, 80,000, 100,000 people to speeches. They've never said Trump's a great speaker. <laughs> it's weird that that, that revelation that us equals US was the thing that made yeah. him think, you know, never, no one talks about how great a speaker I am. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because like, have you? Has anyone? <laughs> I come everyone, up with brilliant stuff like that all the time. No one yeah. ever talks about it. Anyone thought of that before? <laughs> no, nobody's ever thought of that before. A not idiot. since. Yeah. <laughs> not since you know. Not since second grade. Seventy-six. Yeah. Just yeah. That's the one that went viral, and I thought there's a good oh, chance okay. you might have heard it. I'm pretty sure that right. a lot of the listeners will have heard it. But, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that is so good. Wow. It? And then that, yeah, absolutely, that's the thing, you know, like, <laughs> it's going to be dog has gone backwards. He's going, yeah, has anybody thought of that before? Yeah, yeah. And then we get umpteen, you know, we get 25 people up to 100,000 people. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but they've never said no. Trump's a great speaker. No. Well, yeah, weirdly, because he isn't. He's an awful speaker. Have we, we've been doing this. For 135 episodes, <laughs> and he's not ever said anything great. Well, there's been some good presidential type things that have been written for him, but then he can't resist going off and making them <laughs> not great by going off script. Yeah. So you also think oh, wow. that number three is real? Yes, the large world. And number three? Yes. It's real. We have the worst education almost in the large world, the, uh, the world that people know about. Let's say if you take the top 40 countries, we're about at the bottom of the list. We're number 38, 39, 40. Yeah. Norway, Denmark, Sweden, China. China. Think of that. China is a top five. We spend double and triple what every other country. There's no country that comes to us. We spend more per people. And we're at 40. But we spend double and triple. There's no country that comes close. Well, that's not true because not Denmark, Sweden, China, bit. Norway. That's why they are, I've got a really good, yeah. Except, so why I mean, are we you're assuming that what? any of this is true. <laughs> yeah, 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 no. <laughs> you're using his words <laughs> as evidence yeah. that the first as thing is evidence of and true. And obviously yeah. those bits aren't true either. No. 
This is- it should fall. <laughs> it should fall at. The world that people know about. The, la- That's where, the, the large, moment where like, you kind was, of... He was obviously seeking, searching for a word there. <laughs> the whole wide world what? is basically... I, I, think he, I think he probably meant the first world, like, and oh, which okay. is not so politically correct to use. You know, if he'd said, Anymore. like, the global, like global north, north or something like that, yeah, you know, yeah, that would yeah. be fine. But he doesn't understand yeah. that kind of concept. So You don't think he was just thinking, oh, wide world. The large world. <laughs> the world that, you know, the world people know about. Not the shitty bits that no one no, has nobody heard Nobody knows, yeah. 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 No, the awful, the, 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 the important bit. countries. Yeah, the stuff <laughs> that people know. That's <laughs> just people know. Well, that's, you know, but he's talking to an American audience and, you know, I'm going to say it. That don't even that don't know half of, don't know all of the states. They go, yeah, anything outside Tennessee? Nope. Yeah, it's all here. That's all you need. Yeah. So, yay, yay, yay. I mean, Jeepers, I feel like creepers. I feel like it doesn't need saying, but right, obviously this isn't true. Right, the U.S. does not spend more money no. than it doesn't. It's certainly like nowhere near double or triple. That would be mad. These are figures right. from the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. They look right. at public spending on lots of different things. And yep. in 2020, the country that spent the most per student, this is from primary to post-secondary but non-tertiary, so not university education. It's yep. it's like up to sixth form college, up to, yep. Yep. I don't know what grade that is, but Luxembourg spends the most. Oh. By some way, they spend the equivalent yeah. of twenty four thousand eight hundred sixty four dollars per student uh, wow, on average for those years. The next one down is Norway, which is sixteen thousand four hundred eighty four. So that's mm-hmm. quite a drop. That's like two thirds of Luxembourg, and yeah. and pretty Good much free. everyone yeah. else is in that kind of ballpark. Yeah. Uh, the US is about fifth in the world. That's about fifteen thousand dollars per student right when he says double and triple everyone no one else comes close Mm -hmm. there's literally five countries that spend more and to go down to (laughs) double more you have to go down to chile wow Wow. (laughs) they spend about half of what the u.s spends uh greece croatia those are the kind of countries uh you know when yeah uh, if you're thinking about just the large world you know the 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 countries people have heard of Australia, United Kingdom, Canada, Sweden, Denmark, Germany, Belgium, Korea, uh, Iceland, Austria, Norway, France, Italy, Ireland, Japan, all spend basically the same. It's like within kind of a couple of grand per student as the US. And in terms of of how well those countries then do, because they say we're 40th in the worst, worst education in almost the large world. No, that's not true either. That's a lot harder to quantify because there isn't a measure of who's the best at education yeah because yeah. that's a bullshit yeah. stat that doesn't yes. mean anything <laughs> except in trump's head yeah, yeah. there We're is the there's no everything. there's you yeah. know how would you even measure that i've found multiple different sites that cho- that claim to kind of rank the the countries in educational order and the u.s is usually in the top three or four of those countries the the worst one i could find is an yeah. organization called pisa uh, which is actually the program for international student assessment uh, and they they work with the oecd and they do put china top right but the reason for that is because 
China's scores are based on pupils in Beijing, Shanghai, and kind of the provinces immediately around there. They just don't look at the rest of rural China. Right. So the educational achievement in the biggest cities in China, where in those provinces, there's 183 million people out of 1.4 billion in China. Yeah. So it's a large number of people, but a small chunk of the population. They do well in those big cities. Across the rest of China... They just don't look at that. So there's no measurement for that. Oh, so right. you can't say right. that. And okay. they and and where they fit on that that list of how much they spend is is way down because a lot of that is in rural areas. They don't spend much money, and there's a lot of people in those places. And that's the only list I could find that puts China in the top section at all. And right. again, it's it's skewed by that. Even in that list, the US is in the top twenty, oh, and it's okay. surrounded by people like uh, Norway, Switzerland, France. Uh, Poland, yeah. Ireland, United Kingdom is a bit higher, like 12th. But they're all, the scores they're getting, like the United right. Kingdom gets 1,511, US gets 1,485, and they're about 10 apart. So it's pretty close. Wow. Like those those yeah, aren't, yeah. there's not, we're not doing twice as well as the US on whatever arbitrary yeah. scale yeah, these, yeah, yeah. this organisation ranks you. The PISA system is testing the critical thinking of 15-year-olds in math, science and reading. That's how they look at what the educational quality of those countries uh, okay. uh, is. Yeah, so again, yeah, yeah. It's, a, yep. it's quite yep. a specific small section of education and they are yep. not necessarily looking at a representative portion of students in those countries. But that was the right. table I found that had the US doing the worst. Everyone else puts right. them in the top kind of five or ten countries in the world. Wow, we. So are they are they fortieth anywhere? No, no, not anywhere that I could find. Right. No. Yeah. And in no way do they spend twice what other similar countries no. spend. No. So, yeah, that's all bullshit as usual. Yeah. 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 <laughs> of course. Of course. But you and know, I like to check oh. in case one day he'll say yeah. something true. <laughs> you never know. Yeah. It could happen. Who? Ah. Oh. Could it's important it, to keep an open mind. Know, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. That maybe that's the worst case scenario. <laughs> that actually one day he says something that's true, <laughs> and we're and we're appalled by the thing that he says, and it turns out to be true, and he knows that it is. Yeah. Okay. So, wow. uh, from wow. our our contestants on the socials, yeah, we've got on Facebook. Mary says, these are so good, I'm sure I've heard number one. Number three makes no sense in a way that is so Trumpian it must be real. <laughs> um, um, right, and I reckon yeah, two yeah. is fake. So, yeah, well done, Mary. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, Rebecca yeah. says, I think it's number three. I don't think he thinks one whit about education. <laughs> Andrew says, I want number one to be real, so I'm picking number three as fake news. <laughs> yeah, no, so, fair enough. Yeah, yeah, there we go. Yeah. And on Patreon, yeah. Anders says, number one is the one you made up. Wow. So, no, yeah. bad luck. <laughs> he says, uh, which one are you most convinced about? I'm guessing number two. Uh, and wow. Then, and then wow. says, and I can't beat Mark. I've already gotten it wrong three, four, fifty, eighty times by now. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Very good. If they're falling into the trap that I always fall into, which is... I can't believe that he would have that thought process. He doesn't give a shit about any of that. So you just get angry rather than <laughs> rather than go, no, actually, wait a minute. Where, where, yeah, is that a Jim Tell or yeah. is that a, 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 a thing? Yeah. Well, your incredible yeah. streak continues. Uh, uh, yeah, I yeah. think that's seven in a row. Oh, Six my or seven, God. Something like, like that. And it's all going to You've fall only got apart. one more to go. 
to be on yeah. 50%. Have I ever been on 50%? I think early on, right. when the numbers were lower and, and one, we like one win two, could make more of a yeah. difference. <laughs> right. <laughs> then, yeah, yeah you, you got episode to... episode two, I might have been on 50%. <laughs> no, I think it took you a while to get... I one wrong, one right. Yeah. I yeah. think it was, it was probably up to, up to episode six. Yeah. So, uh, like that. Yeah. 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 So, if, yeah, next next week, could be you could be on 50%. Wow. for that. Blimey. Yeah, no, you're not. Don't patronise me. I've got your back. (laughs) Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. And it's time for the part of the show that this week at least is called Dominoes and Not a Logical Fallacy because nice. Trump's lawyers are all pleading guilty in Georgia. Yeah. Not just Trump's lawyers because we mentioned um, last time, we mentioned that Scott Hall, who was one of the co-defendants in the Georgia case, had yeah. had pled guilty. Uh, but he was kind of a minor player. He was involved in the Coffee County incursion into voting machines and, and kind of attempt to... Yeah. to take a voting yeah. machine um so when he pled guilty we were like oh yeah that's interesting and he might have some stuff to kind of talk about he might be able to, to testify against other people and give them more information mm. that's great one of the people who was also involved in the coffee county thing and was charged with some of those crimes was sydney powell yeah uh, yes, was yes, yes another co-defendant and trump's lawyer yeah and she yeah. pleaded guilty pretty soon after scott hall actually um, she pleaded guilty uh, to election interference and yeah. made a deal, basically. She was one of the two, her and Ken Cheesebro were the two who had asked for a, a quick trial, speedy right. trial. Yeah. It was due to start on Monday, 23rd of October, their trials. And that's, I guess, why the pressure started mounting, that either yeah. their trial was going to start or they needed to come to an agreement. Come up with a some sort of deal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and so Sydney Power came to a, an agreement which included her uh, testifying truthfully against other co-defendants and right. also paying some restitution and making uh, writing a letter of apology, which sources say, uh, that one hasn't been released, but sources say might right. have only been one sentence long. Um, so I don't know how, <laughs> how heartfelt sorry. it was. I'm like, so, okay. Yeah. It's not, I'm it's so like, really very sorry. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so sorry. So, yeah. I'm sorry um, if you felt some offence yeah, yeah, this. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it was, a, it was the, an yeah. apology to the people of Georgia, supposedly, but I don't think right. the people of Georgia have got to sorry, actually see the apology. Sorry, yeah. so, um, yeah. and, and in response, she didn't actually end up with any jail time. Or even any felonies. Ah. She was oh, on wow. probation, essentially having pled guilty to misdemeanors. So yeah, she's been spared jail time, but has agreed to cooperate with the prosecutors in and and will testify in the upcoming trials of the other co-defendants. Soon after right. that, Ken Cheesebro, the other one yeah. whose whose trial was expedited, yeah. he pled guilty. He got a felony wow. on his record, but right. also no jail time. Also 
had to write a letter of apology to Georgia people <laughs> and yeah. uh, also had to agree to testify truthfully in the upcoming trials. Wow. So the, the reason that I said dominoes yeah. essentially is because it seems like every time someone pleads guilty, it means the prosecution then get them as a witness. Which is bad right. for all the people yeah, they did yeah. stuff for the, with. For the next, <laughs> for the next bunch of people, yes, yes, yeah. So the, then the next one along the line said, "Well, if they're going to be the witness in my case, yeah, then I should actually plead guilty because I'm just going to be found out. There's no point in exactly." Doing it. And the thing is, Sydney yeah. Powell was involved in quite a lot of the Trump stuff. She was in mm. that December 2020 meeting at the White House, mm-hmm. about how to deal with the all of the kind of upcoming January 6th stuff. Um, yep. And she will be able to testify to that. Um, the, yep. the slight snag on that <laughs> is the fact that it's Sidney Powell, uh, who is not a credible witness in any way. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. that's going to be interesting. And I don't know how they deal with statements outside of court, because she's already started saying... You know, she still thinks that the election was rigged and she was extorted oh, into making sake. her plea deal. But that's... Through threats of by, jail by time. By threatening to... But, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's but how that's plea how deals it work. works. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, go, well, that's the no, only reason could... anyone would ever make a plea deal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Essentially, they're saying, uh, look, you know, if yeah. you don't plead, gu- plead guilty, we will we'll send we'll you have to this jail. trial yeah. and you will go to prison. And she yeah, was like, oh, wolf. well, you're just extorting me now. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's just, that's your blackmail. <laughs> what? No. Yeah. You, you will pay you for the crimes all that this you stuff. did. Okay, I'll, I'll agree to say all that stuff. But somehow she's got to protect her, in, are you, I hesitate to use the word integrity. No, you can't. Got to, you can't. She, no, 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 she's not protecting possible. her position by saying, I only squealed. Because they made me, they they ganged up on me and threatened to they put had me in so much jail. Evidence against me is basically the reason why. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah. So I d- she will testify, um, but I don't know how it will go with the fact that uh, all the time between now and then she will be saying out of court, "Oh, it's you know, I did nothing yeah. wrong, and every you know, I was made to plead yeah. guilty, and all of the people who I will be testifying against did nothing wrong, and then going and saying completely different stuff when she's actually testifying in, in the court, yeah. yeah, yeah, under oath, where she's got to promise so, to tell the truth, otherwise yeah. she'll end up in jail. Yeah, Trump said Sidney Powell was never my lawyer, despite the fact that there he, is documentary evidence of her lawyer. being his yeah. lawyer. <laughs> And yeah. including him, I never paid her. Including so, uh, him saying, "Here yeah. are some of my lawyers," and and like I, one of them was yeah. Sydney Powell. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah. one of the people who was definitely one of his lawyers was Jenna Ellis, mm-hmm. who has also seen the light and decided to plead guilty. Right. Uh, she worked very closely with Rudy Giuliani. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. And also Sydney Powell. So she is probably going to be able to say lots of nice things about what Giuliani did and the things that he knew and when he knew them and what he said in private and all that kind of stuff. She has said in her apology letter, which she read out in court, that she was essentially kind of led astray by by bigger boys, by lawyers who who had um, (laughs) much more experience than she did. And if she knew then what she knows now, she would never have agreed to be Trump's lawyer. 
and all of that stuff. Yeah, if she knew then that she was going to be prosecuted for it and would have yeah, to plead yeah, guilty, yeah, yeah. Yeah. she wouldn't yeah. have done it. Yeah, that's a post-hop, uh, go post-hop, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But so that kind of um, uh, posits the delicious idea that Giuliani will take a, a plea deal. There's a certain... Uh, Giuliani, to, to get a plea deal, I think, Giuliani would have to specifically give them information against Trump. Because yeah. he's one of the higher up ones. That's the thing, is you go yeah. up the tree. These ones are kind of... Yeah. Sydney Powell's pretty important in terms of the amount of access she had and the amount she worked with, with Giuliani and with Trump. But, yeah, um, yeah the, the, one of the benefits that Fonnie Willis, the DA, gets by giving these plea, deal, plea deals this early, essentially, is that, first of all, she gets the guilty pleas. That you know she doesn't yeah. have to go through the trial. Trials are a bit a bit unpredictable, even if you've got lots of evidence. Also, she doesn't have to present all of her evidence for everyone yep. to see, which was one of the right. slight drawbacks of having two of the co-defendants kind of going for a speedy trial. Was that everyone else would get to see their case? Yeah, because yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the prosecution would provide all of the evidence in trial. Yeah. So now she doesn't have to do that. They have avoided needing to to present all of their evidence which means that trump and co don't know exactly don't know what, what they're up got. against yes yes you know, they'll they'll have a good idea from what discovery they've got and and any uh kind of attempted well they won't they won't have had any deals offered by the da because obviously yeah. you know you deal to get someone higher up and trump will be the one they're trying to get mostly yeah but yeah some of his co-defendants will have uh, been offered in fact, we know that some of his co-defendants have been offered deals because <laughs> CNN has reported that Fulton County prosecutors have discussed potential plea deals with at least six additional co-defendants wow. who are charged alongside Donald Trump. So, again, having got these people now on the prosecution's side and given them fairly good deals to, yeah. to, to flip this early in the process, that is a, a more of a kind of push towards the others to say, look, you know, there's still time, the door is closing, but there's still yeah, time to yeah, come yeah. over to the light side and, and yeah. testify against all the <laughs> yeah. other bad guys. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. know, there's still some, there's still a few nice deals to be had, but it won't be here forever. And yeah, yeah so we don't know exactly who all those are. We, I mean, a couple of the others, I think Misty Hampton, former elections supervisor in Coffee County and yep. Trump campaign official Mike Roman, people, sources say they've been in contact with the DA's office. Robert Cheeley, one of the lawyers, his lawyers say that they've been offered a plea deal but turned it down. Mm-hmm. But we don't know, obviously, all of the ins and outs, and we won't know until more dominoes start to fall. Yeah. One of the interesting things is that Sidney Powell and Ken Cheesebro are also unindicted co-conspirators in Jack Smith's DC right. trial. They're yes, mentioned, yes. or they're not by name, but they're described yeah. enough that we know who they are yeah. <laughs> in the election interference federal trial. Yeah. Having now pled guilty to a lot of the things that they have pled that, guilty to, yeah. if they become indicted conspirator, co-conspirators in DC, they will find yeah. it hard to go to court and say, I'm not guilty of these things, mm. having mm. already said they are guilty of them. Of those in things, a, in a yes. Georgia yeah. court. So that's going to make wow. it a lot easier yeah. for Jack yeah. Smith to yeah. get them to testify in that case as well, yeah. I suspect. And the other thing is Generalis has been under fire, not by Trump, who, as far as I know at the moment, hasn't denied that she was one of his lawyers, right. but right. from MAGA, from MAGA supporters, because yeah. she 
initially asked Trump for money, essentially, for her defense. And he was like, right. who are you? I don't know you. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so she did I don't a kind want of... money. I just want you to pay me for, for the stuff that I did for you. Yeah. And then that yeah. I can use that for my defense. Yeah. So she yeah. did a kind of, you know, right wing Kickstarter GoFundMe type thing. Right. Um, and raised $200,000, $216,000, wow. I think, to fight her, um, yeah. her case and then pled guilty. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I don't know yes. what to that money. And then has suspiciously bought an enormous RV. <laughs> uh-huh. Yes, uh, Laura Loomer, <laughs> pro Trump nut job, yeah. wrote on Twitter: "Jenna Ellis scammed all of you who donated to her. I told you not to donate to this disloyal wench." <laughs> <laughs> wench! <laughs> wow! Wow! That's excellent. <laughs> Hastily. Covering up the fact that she had donated. Yeah. yeah. But wow. So, Rich. Brilliant. So, yeah. Um, I don't wow. know who will be next, but I would not be at all surprised if there are more. It's almost worth a, uh, a fallacious Trump-sized bingo card, isn't it? <laughs> we, 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 could, well, we could do that kind of... Cross okay, them who's off gonna, they Who's going to be next? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we could do a sweepstakes thing. We could, we could have thing. a pool, yeah. Yeah. And finally, some things we really don't have time to talk about. Who boy, was I wrong last episode when I said Republicans would need to pick a more moderate candidate to fill the vacant speaker chair. <laughs> sure, after another couple of rounds of Jim Jordan votes where he lost support each time, they did nominate Minnesota Congressman Tom Emmer, but then Trump called him a globalist rhino and after less than five hours he withdrew from the race when it became clear the MAGA Republicans wouldn't support him. But then... Out of the darkness came the hero we didn't need and definitely don't deserve unless we've been really bad, Mike Johnson. Who? Yeah, Yeah. that's what pretty much everyone said, (laughs) including politicians in his own party, like Senator Susan Collins, who told a CNN reporter she didn't know him but would be Googling him later, and Senator Todd Young, who said, we just need a warm body at this point, right? And I think he qualifies. Oh, he thinks he qualifies, but he's not prepared to commit 100%. Meanwhile, across the aisle, Senator Tim Kaine admitted he couldn't pick Johnson out of a lineup. Congresswoman Summer Lee said, I don't know anything about that man, nothing at all. And Congressman Jeff Jackson said he'd already Googled Mike, a bit quicker off the mark than Susan Collins, and said, I know he's from Louisiana and that's about it. <laughs> so who is he? Well, I Googled him, and it turns out he's an election-denying young Earth creationist who thinks homosexuality is inherently unnatural, wants to outlaw abortions and make it harder to get a divorce, and has blamed mass shootings on feminism and the teaching of evolution. So, fuck. Yeah. (laughs) Perfect. Perfect Republican fodder. Wow. I seem to recall Trump said he'd throw himself in the path of the next mass shooting to protect potential victims... But I didn't see him in Maine last week, stumbling into view like an orange and more dishevelled version of Will Smith's drunken, overweight, super bum Hancock. But never fear, because Hannity is here. Yep, Fox News' own superhero Sean Hannity has come up with his solution to prevent such appalling events ever happening again. And without upsetting the NRA donations to the Republican Party or upsetting the misguided viewership, who confused any control of angry Fox Channel viewers needing to actually own and carry an assault weapon in a downtown suburban environment, especially if you're not actually a soldier at war, engaged in street-to-street combat with whoever has been declared the enemy, with an attack on the very constitution of America itself. Yep, if old Sean was faced with such an attacker on public premises, he says he has a personal security plan 
I train in mixed martial arts. Now, <laughs> whilst his plan might seem to him to have worked this time, he's still alive, that might have something to do with the fact that the Fox Studios are a seven-and-a-half-hour drive from Maine, so he didn't have to put it into action. There is, though, the thing that whilst the physics of solid materials may be one of the things that the Zen of martial art teaches you to distrust, on the face of it, going, and stepping into a Bruce Lee crouch to gesticulate with a crook of your outstretched fingers, come get me, isn't going to stop. 40 rounds a minute of 9mm cartridges going at 2,400 miles an hour, tearing you to pieces, no matter how quickly you move. Let's face it, Hannity is no lithe Bruce Lee. Thankfully, MMA experts laughed at Hannity's tweet, pointing out the holes in his plan. What nobody has done, though, is call out the delusional stance about guns and the Second Amendment that continues to ensure future mass shootings will occur and yet more thoughts, prayers and mixed martial arts will continue to be useless to stop them. Gun control now, you idiots. Yeah, the the new speaker, Mike Johnson, in response to the uh, yeah. news about the shooting, he he offered prayers. Great. Uh, but stopped short of offering any thoughts, uh, which uh, which sounds about right for the Republicans. Sounds about- so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yep. Yep. In Trump's <laughs> civil fraud trial in New York, Judge Arthur Engeron is dealing with the Donald's inability to keep his mouth shut by fining him. First, it was $5,000 when it turned out Trump had not removed a disparaging post doxing the judge's clerk from his website as instructed, and then another 10000 after Trump did one of his stand-up routines outside the courtroom in which he called the judge partisan and added, with a person who is very partisan sitting alongside him, perhaps even much more partisan than he is. Very clearly referencing the judge's clerk again. Judge Engeron didn't believe Trump when he said he was talking about the witness, Michael Cohen, and said, using imprecise language as an excuse to create plausible ambiguity about whether defendant violated this court's unequivocal gag order is not a defence. The subject of Donald Trump's public statement to the press was unmistakably clear. Soon after, Trump stormed out of the courtroom and told the press, the witness just admitted that we won the trial and the judge should end this trial immediately. Which is not how trials work. And also... (laughs) Not what's been reported. This is exactly why Trump's trials should be televised. Georgia will be, and Judge Chutkan is currently considering motions in D.C. If she decides not to allow cameras, Trump will spend the end of every court day saying things like, Hillary Clinton showed up and confessed that she was behind everything, and she said, I won in 2022. Then everyone cheered. Excellent. I love that. Using imprecise language as an excuse to create plausible ambiguity. That's that's uh-huh. exactly yeah. what Trump does. And and actually, Boris Johnson, that's <laughs> superb. Well, you might not be surprised to learn that Tennessee currently ranks amongst the lowest per-pupil spending in the United States and among the top 10 highest states in teen birth rates. Thankfully, there are billions of dollars of federal funding available designed to prevent and treat HIV and money that would help clinics serving low-income women, as well as nearly $1.8 billion in federal education dollars, much of it targeted to serve low-income students, English learners and students with disabilities, and tens of thousands of dollars in federal grants that help monitor teenagers' sexual behaviours and try to lower rates of teen pregnancy and sexually transmitted diseases. But of course, 
Tennessee being Gilead in waiting, the lawmakers there would rather not have access to any of the funding and turn down those billions because it comes with strings attached. The strings seemingly being help the poor teach young people about safe sexual practices and lower teenage pregnancies. House Speaker Cameron Sexton, Republican, comments, we should do everything that we can to be whole and autonomous and independent from the federal government. When you take federal government money, their philosophies and what they want you to do is different than probably what the state wants to do. Memphis Democrat Ramesh Akbari points out, of course, that the Republicans do not want to have to comply with education around sexual orientation and gender, including in the U.S. Departments of Education's curriculum advice, along with the billions. Whether Tennessee can actually refuse the money, given that federal funding is about 20% of Tennessee's education budget, and whether Tennessee can find it from somewhere else without having to advocate cuts is yet to be seen. Of course, the Department of Education is right when it criticised the idea earlier this year as political posturing, but it appeals to voters and gives the Republicans the chance to set up the federal government as an enemy, creating a problem only they can solve, whilst hiding the let's defund the poor and impose our own ridiculously strict philosophies, but not like those nasty federal ones, subtext. The deadline for motions to dismiss in Trump's DC election interference case was midnight on Monday, and his lawyers had a few bullshit motions sitting around half finished, so they shoved them all in at the last minute, just in case Judge Chuckman wasn't paying attention and accidentally signed one of them. Their first motion claimed that all the stuff Trump did was fine, actually, because you can't prove the election wasn't stolen, and stopped just short of lighting a joint and saying, what is truth anyway? Can you ever really know something? What if my reality isn't the same as yours, man? Man. Motion number two argued that Trump was selectively prosecuted because Joe Biden pressured the DOJ. The evidence cited for this includes some of Trump's own posts asserting as much on Truth Social. (laughs) Motion three makes the bizarre claim that he can't be prosecuted for all the crimes because he was already acquitted by Congress during one of his impeachments and his lawyers once watched a movie called Double Jeopardy. And Is that a thing? Seems like that should be a thing. Spoiler, it's not a thing. And finally, they tried one where they claim the statute about conspiring to defraud the United States requires deceit or trickery. And, I assume while trying and failing to suppress laughter, the lawyers wrote, to assert that President Trump, as one voice among countless millions, was somehow capable of unilaterally tricking or deceiving these individuals, who include some of the most informed politicians on the planet, simply by advocating his opinions on this contentious issue, is beyond absurd. Sure, it's not like we have documentary evidence of exactly that happening thousands of times. Yeah, and it still bloody happens, which is why the, the yes, speakers don't yeah. get elected. Jesus Christ. The Public Religion Research Institute, PRRI, has conducted a poll. They have asked a question designed to elicit a measure of whether American politics have gotten so far off track that patriots may have to resort to violence to save the United States. Save from what, fight whom, and to what end isn't made clear by the survey or the respondents, but it doesn't seem to matter. The results do. It shows that support for the use of violence has gone up in the past two years, peaking in its most recent survey at 23%, going this year above 20% for the first time. One third of Republicans surveyed believe patriots may have to resort to violence, up from 28% in 2021. In 2023, 13% of Democrats believe violence may have to happen, compared with 7% who said in 
who said so in 2021. 22% of independents now say violence would be an option, up from 13% two years ago. Breaking it down further, the PRRI reports that Trump voters and those who think the elections were stolen are more likely than their counterparts to say patriots may have to resort to violence. Well, yeah, duh. 33% of white evangelical Protestant respondents said violence may be an option. Chin stroke emoji up from 24%. 38% of Trump supporters say it's acceptable to use violence to stop Democrats from achieving their goals. And 41% of Democrats think that that's what Republicans think. (laughs) The poll doesn't go into who patriots are or what about violence from non-patriots and and what about violence from non-Christians. Yeah, well, I'm glad you asked because non-Christian respondents jumped the most from 9% two years ago to 23% in 2023 vis-a-vis violence is okay. So much for turning cheeks and just getting along and loving one's neighbour. Non-Christians also includes Buddhists, for fuck's sake. (laughs) Terrifying bloody stuff, but thankfully the survey was conducted amongst only 2,525 adults. So that's far fewer than the crowd of misguided violent patriots that tore down democracy to save an orange man's frail ego that January 6th. So that's okay then. (laughs) Oh, no, wait! Ah! Interesting that a third of Republicans and 33% of white evangelical Mm. Protestants both believe Mm. the same thing. I'm thinking that Venn diagram is a circle. Yes, yes. (laughs) The guilty pleas of cheese and kraken deprived us of some entertaining TV trials to round out the year (laughs) and also deprived the other defendants of an early peek at the Fulton County DA's case. But we did get to look at the defence strategy when it came to choosing a jury because they submitted a questionnaire to Judge McAfee for his approval, which detailed the kinds of questions they wanted to ask potential jurors during voir dire. Traditionally, this is a process where you'd find out if any jurors have personal bias that they can't put aside due to previous knowledge of the case, relationships with defendants, negative experiences with law enforcement and so on. But it seems the attorneys representing Trump's co-defendants have found a new and potentially time-saving strategy. Simply ask them if they plan to vote guilty or not guilty before the trial starts. Sure, that wasn't literally one of the questions, but it might as well have been. Here are some of the statements they wanted to put to the jurors and ask if they agreed or not. I think every single person who is accused of helping Donald Trump try to overturn the election should be punished to the fullest extent of the law. I think MAGA Republicans are mostly made up of radicals and white supremacists. I think anyone who publicly claimed that the 2020 election was stolen from Donald Trump is guilty of spreading misinformation that undermines our democracy. Wow. It's a bold strategy, Cotton, and I'm sad we didn't get to see it play out. Wow. Yeah. Because they just go, oh, yeah. I said, yeah, no, yeah. Yeah, no, I don't, yeah you, you yeah. said, you basically said they're guilty. I don't think we'll have you as a juror. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Fight. Yeah. Yes. In British politics lately, Rishi's five pledges are predictably in tatters. He is, of course, taking credit for the one that is slightly improving, which still has nothing to do with him. Slight economic upturn of. 0.3% in the three months of August. Meanwhile, NHS waiting lists, inflation, small boat crossings and national debt all still remain above where they were when he made the pledges in January and are increasing in size. He, of course, is blaming everyone else for the fact that they aren't making him look good 
and thus also sidestepping the big blue elephant in the room, 13 years of Tory rule, who assets stripped the country and gave it to their mates and then effed off to a lifelong ex-PM pension and peerage in the House of Lords. Speaking of spaffers, Boris Johnson has gone the way of every right-minded, disgraced politician and got a job on GB News, so you can pay even more through the nose to be assailed in the ears by populist, self-serving claptrap. Speaking of which, Chancellor Jeremy Rhymes with Hunt is fiddlassing around the edges of the mahoosive £57 billion hole in the budget to try to be able to offer tax cuts for the four remaining super-rich Tory voters before the next general election. He's already scrapped the cap on bankers' bonuses, you know, the thing that was put in place after the last world banking crash in 2008 to prevent unscrupulous bankers flogging dodgy stuff simply to boost their end-of-year extras. However, to be seen to be bringing about the change he said he would before acting exactly the same as every Tory PM before him, Rishi has been advised to go one better and cut the actual Jeremy Hunt himself. Of course, this won't make any savings, ultimately, as he will be entitled to a lifelong pension, possible peerage in the House of Lords, and a job on GP News. Still, what's the worst that could happen? Oh, no, it already has. Roll on, 2024, not just the Olympics, the general election. So that's all the bad arguments and faulty reasoning we have time for this week. You'll find the show notes at fallaciousTrump.com and if you hear Trump say something stupid and want to ask if it's a fallacy, our contact details are on the contact page. If you think we use the fallacy ourselves, let us know. And if you've had a good time, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get podcasts or simply tell one other person in person about how much they'd like our podcast. And you can support the show at patreon.com slash ftrump, just like our strawman level patrons, Laura Tomzik, Renee said. Schmutz, Mark Reiki and Amber R. Buchanan, who told us when we met her at QED we could just call her Amber, though another listener recognised her at QED this year because we keep using her full name all the time. <laughs> and our true Scotsman-level patrons, Melissa Sytek, Stephen Bickle, Janet Uetta, Kaz Tui, Andrew Hauk, and our top patron, Lauren. Thank you so much for your continued support. It really is very much appreciated. You can connect with those awesome people as well as us and other listeners in the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Fallacious Trump. All music is by the outbursts and was used with permission. So until next time on Fallacious Trump, we'll leave the last word to the Donald. That's right. Go home to mommy. Bye. Bye. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.